I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Welcome back to The Dave Kittle Show. Today, we have two returning guests, and we are basically doing this live and in person. The first in-person episode on The Dave Kittle Show we have Chris Vandeford back on the show, as well as Dr. Todd Russell. Chris Vandeford, the principal and owner of Transition One, an advisor broker uh, with a big team growing in the Ohio area. And also Dr. Todd Russell, CEO of Empire Dental Arts. I can just do your intro is pretty much off the cuff. You guys have been on the show so many times. So today, we're going to welcome them back. They'll give you a brief little intro if they uh, if you have not heard about them or, or known about them before. Do a little bit of an intro. But today, we're going to talk about a couple of different things, potential deal killers. What are some things to either disclose or not disclose to a broker or advisor? If you're looking to sell your practice, what to disclose and, and how to communicate some of those situations to potential buyers like us. So we're acquiring in the physical therapy aspect and on the dental side with uh, dental practices at Empire Dental Arts. So quick intro. Chris Vandeford, who are you? Why are we here? And what are we uh, talking about today? Transplant to the Midwest, originally from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a Southern boy that made my way to Ohio, and uh, it was temporary, and we never left. It's a great place to be, do business. I've been brokering for about 23 years and have a great team, and we do business from Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, mostly is our network. And now I love what I do. So bring uh, a lot of failure and success to the interviews. And I think that's where I can be helpful to some of the listeners. Awesome. Uh, well, Todd Russell, and I am uh, the founder of Empire Dental Arts. It's a nine practice group in the Cleveland market space. I've been a dentist for almost uh, 30 years now. Hail from Buffalo, New York, but now live in Cleveland. And happy about Dave's show again. Love uh, the content, love talking about it. Yeah, that's enough. Bought and sold enough practices now that I think we can definitely have a good conversation. And we've seen some failures along the way. Mm -hmm. And those lessons, as I said earlier, are the uh, the ones that are equally as important as the successes. Right. As a little bit of a preview, uh, we, with our practice, we're looking to acquire physical therapy practices in the New York and New Jersey area. Right now, we're recording in downtown Brooklyn, overlooking uh, beautiful downtown Manhattan right now in person. If you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, you can jump over to the YouTube and take a look at this. Maybe we'll give you some sights and, and views in a second. But one thing that we'll mention as a little bit of a hook. So uh, we were evaluating a practice recently. Long story short, we thought that with their 2022 financials, we assumed we thought that there was going to be a small profit or potentially break even based off of the financials that we had initially seen for the first half of the year of 2020, of last calendar year. And uh, the financials just uh, came to us for 2022. And there was a negative 100,000 plus net income on the books, a negative 100 plus thousand on the books. And that was basically a deal killer. I, I will preface that as a little bit of a hook. Maybe we'll come back to that story, but I'll kick it over to Dr. Todd or Chris in regards to some other scenarios, some other things that you guys have come across either on the, the advisor broker side or on the buy side with the, with the dental space of things that 
can kill a deal, that can hurt rapport, that can basically not allow the process to continue. I'm going to let you start because he is Jones in to tell the story. I can see it in his face. He's got something. He it's happening as we speak. Uh, uh, I just received some financials yesterday, matter of fact, from a fantastic gentleman I'm working with. And the financials come in. And I know that nobody reports more to the government than they have to. I get it. Everyone's the same. But when the financials come to me and it's all negatives, I can't pass that on to the buyer of bank. A, to get the loan approved, B, to intrigue the buyer, seller, clean up your financials and show me where all the addbacks and profits are and have your CPA begin cleaning this up for a sale. So important because right now as the broker, now I've got to do detective work and figure out, well, your marketing is 10%. So what's in there? Your rent's 20%. So you're paying your wife extra. Your salaries are 40%, so I know you're paying your daughter and your son. Pull all that out for me and show me what you're really making. That's probably one of the biggest hiccups in a practice sale, and you've probably seen that as well, is we've got to clean up the financials. And again, that's our job, but just know the cleaner your P&L and tax return, the better the loan can process. That makes sense. If you're getting closer to selling, you're, you're knowing you want to retire in three, four years. That's the, you know, we all play the game. That's the luxury of being a um, small business owner is you can play little games, Absolutely. You can run the car possibly through, whether it's legit or not, you and your accountant can decide that, but you can take those perks, but as you get closer to exit, you nope. want it to be legitimized and on the tax return. Like you said, the P&L is one thing, but what you're reporting on the tax return is what the bank is going to look at. I want every seller to understand part of the value is subjective. You have to put yourself in a buyer's shoes. The buyer is handing their experts a document and the experts make a decision on the health of this practice based on that document. You show a weak profit, you show negative trends, The experts say, well, this is not a healthy practice. We need to leverage your risk. We're going to negotiate a lower price. When the profits were built in, you just failed to show them. So we already started at a weak position. Begin showing as clear of a window as you can to the buyer what the benefit will be to them. If you do that, then you're starting on a level playing field. It's amazing how subjective a value is if you don't position yourself from the beginning correctly. Hmm. What are some of the other things that maybe you guys have come across where maybe commonalities of potential deal killers or or maybe nuanced situations where like you're blindsided and it's like not common? I would say it's a deal killer, but one thing that sticks out that I tend to and I consult with Chris on some of his deals is rent. You own your own building. A lot of dentists wind up owning their own building. And we pay ourselves more as a real estate owner than we do as a dentist to avoid to play some of the tax game. Whoever's going to buy your practice, that number has to be normalized. The term add back. A lot of people don't know what that means. And so think of it in terms of your perks that you've taken that really should be income, but you're taking them as a perk. Every dollar that we call an ad back is a dollar that falls into the profit bucket that someone is going to pay you a multiple of. 
So if you're taking $100,000 out of your practice as a combination of paying yourself higher rent, running your car through, paying your daughter or your children, all of that falls to the bottom line. And that's going to turn that $100,000 is going to turn into a three, four, five times multiple on the value of your company. So keep that in mind as you get towards that tail end. Uh, but real estate is a big one. I know I personally did it with my, uh, my former large practice, paid myself a ridiculous amount every month, but it wasn't what was the market was holding. Right. So for another example, we just got new financials from a potential seller this week. And the rent was, I mean, it was close to what they were paying themselves, who is the physical therapist, practice owner, and owns the real estate. And I will just say in the New Jersey or New York area, right, close to 200000 or a little less. So it came out to seventeen dollars or $18,000. And most physical therapy offices, we were talking earlier this morning about approximate size and, and revenue numbers, but there's not many physical therapy practices that are spending seventeen or $18,000 per month on rent. So obviously, it's the same type of situation. It's an add back and, it, and you've got to know that that's coming. And whoever you're going to sell to, real estate, how good is real estate when it comes to buying and selling dental practices? They or it, even physical therapy, dental, any industry, you'll fall on the sword on the building. Yep. The building becomes the albatross to the sale. I typically like to say, let's focus on selling the business and then the real estate is a separate event because the real estate will drag on, takes longer, the appraisals, maybe that's up to someone's expectation, maybe it's not. But I've seen people walk away from a $400,000 building sale when the practice for a million was really the focus. So focus on the business, lease the building if you have to with the right of refusal, but don't kill the deal over the bill. And when you say that about the real rent, rental or leasing it, you're going to lease it as a, as a class A space. You just lease it at the market value. Don't be egregious. Yep. Yep. You want the person who's buying your practice or your therapy center to be successful. You're not selling it to them and trying to screw them everywhere you can. Real estate, a lot of people seem to think that, oh, it's worth a billion dollars. No, it's not. It's only worth what the market's going to pay. And someone's only going to want to rent it from you for the market value. So make sure you're conscious of what you're, if you own the building, just know what the rent, what the rental rates are in the neighborhood. That's all you got to do. Yep. Call a local commercial real estate broker, find out it's $30, it's $20, it's $40, whatever class A space is, because that's what we're considered. Then just be know that that's what the lease you should sign if you're not selling the building. Yeah. What about potential blind bids versus asking price? Um, I know you know we're here on both sides of it, right? So we're putting an offer in on a practice right now, and we've seen many. We've interacted with many different brokers and advisors, and we've seen many different confidential information memorandums, a bunch of sims, and some have asking prices in them, and some don't. And some, we try to have the conversation with the, the broker advisor and try to get a little bit out of them. And they say, what type of ballpark are we thinking? And obviously, most are going to look for you know most of the money cash at close, as opposed to some percent as deferred. So we, we try to kind of nicely and professionally try to get as much information out of it. Have you seen, or as Chris or Todd, have either of you seen some conflict or... Deals maybe being killed early or buyers leaving the table early for any of those types of situations. Like we're looking to put a bid in, you know, at X. You guys are expecting some, you know, something higher. 
And therefore, like we're on two different pages, like with that. Do you see any conflict there where there's deal killers or or even like early, early killers before you even get into it? I would rather fail right from the beginning <laughs> because then we know that we didn't have the right match. I've always said to both parties, the math will work out if we have the right fit. Yeah. But I also believe it's the broker's job to put the seller in correct expectations. If you come in and you're half a million dollars or $300,000 difference from what the seller expects, the broker did a poor job of putting the seller in the right space for negotiation. There's investments you have to make in the business. There's, I have never met a perfect business, perfect practice that I'm selling. And when I walk in, I see red flag after red flag. It doesn't matter how good it is. The buyer's going to come in and have to make these investments. This will affect our price. If the broker's not having that conversation, we will fail every time. So I think part of the success of any transition is the broker sitting down with the seller and saying, realistic expectations is X. If we're within the range, let's talk through it. Let's see. Maybe you give an extra year of support and then you get your price. You see, there's always a trade-off, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Are you comfortable on this show saying if you guys only accept blind bids or do you usually give an asking price? Or I usually... So what I'll do is I'll do a personal valuation of the practice and I tell the seller, the math is the math. I don't care how much I like you. You have cash flow. You have debt. What's left? And here's the math. And this is how a bank and CPA would value it. This is how a bank approves a loan. I'm going to show you what this number is because this is the number the buyers are hearing. Can you afford to retire? If you can, then this number should work. There's so many questions that you build into this. If you have a doctor who goes, I need every penny from this sale. Well, he cannot afford to retire and the building is funding his retirement. You will have a sword fight from the beginning. If you have a doctor who says, listen, my financial house is in order, show me the right buyer, and I'll probably make him very successful. He's more willing to compromise. So you're, it's got to be the right seller at the right time. You catch him early and every nickel matters, deal won't work unless it's overpriced. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, a plug for Chris a little bit. He does a really nice job of not only... He does his valuation, but then his assumption is that it's a single doc, not a group that's going to buy the practice. So then he does further um, details showing the seller, the buyer, the revenue, the expected cost of the loan interest and, you know, uh, principal payments, what a reasonable doctor's salary assumption, everything else stays the same. And then the profit at the end. So he does a really nice job of spending a little bit of time helping the buyer to understand things. As a buyer, we're going to do our own math anyhow. Right. His is fine, but we're going to dive. We got to make sure we yep. got to vet. Yep. Not that we, yep. don't, we don't trust him, but we're going to dive into it and make sure that his number, and it usually is. And then that number is going to have, it's the multiples we discussed and what the market is kind of paying for the practice, but also all the ancillaries. How old is the equipment? How old is the staff? And I don't mean to be discriminatory age-wise, but your culture, doctor, as you leave, is going to be different than my culture. Are they going to hang around? Are they not going to hang around? That adds and subtracts to the practice price, for sure. There's a 20% swing. If you have to make 
let's see, I'm going to run a couple of scenarios by you. If you walk into an office and identify there's very little investment that needs in equipment or computers or software, mm-hmm. number one. Number two, dentist, physical therapist, whatever industry says, I will support you 12 to 24 months or unless you let me go. There's a 10 or 20% swing in value there mm-hmm. versus A, I've got to invest a quarter of a million dollars to get this practice up to speed. And B, the guy wants to leave in three months or he's going to hand you the keys and say, Dave, good luck. There's a 10 to 20% swing in value debt. There's subjective natures to the value that it is up to the broker to tell the seller, you want X, here's what's required to get X. Unless you're willing to do that, we can't get X. That's what makes adversarial process exist is it didn't start correctly. I truly believe it. That makes sense. Uh, it does. That's the goodwill component. It's it is. Most of it is. About. I mean, capital cost, CapEx, uh, capital costs are one thing. I mean, your first scenario, if I walk in, and remember, I'm hiring younger people, right? Younger associates. So certainly out of dental school, maybe a residency, where I have work someplace else in a, a dental chop shop, if you will. I'm hiring them. All they know is technology. So if I walk in and that practice is built out, decked out nicely, well-invested, well-maintained, it's going to get... It will attract get, the It's going to get another add-on to that multiple. You got it. You right? got it. The doctor, our offices, we now require selling doctors to stay out for a period of time. Yes. Because the transitions have not gone so well when we've let them go in that short period of time. And if, they're willing, if they really want to go, then now we've, we've gotten wiser and we walk away from those deals. Sorry, we can't do it. We can't let you walk away that easy. Do you usually... You want them there for 12 months or you have a potential timeline there? Well, look, the longer months, that, though, yeah, the longer two that. years, the longer two years, they say, say six months, please. No, um, no, because here's well, if somebody wants six months, here's my answer to that. Sure. Six months after we find an associate for the practice, I want you selling doctor to spend six months because in our, in the dental world, you get your clean teeth clean every six months, you know, kind of thing. So that's one turn of the patients. There's a handoff. Between the seller and the buyer, oh, this is you know, this is Doctor Kittle, and Doctor Kittle is uh, joined the practice, and he's buying the practice for me. You know, Doctor Kittle meet Jane Smith, and that just goes so much more smoothly. Also, it helps the staff to stay around. We don't want the staff. Yes, we could probably get a dental assistant for a dollar less an hour, but that dental assistant is really a key person because all the patients know him or her, and so we want them to stay. The doctor's staying, that helps the staff to stay. So I prefer 18 to 24 months, one year of operating the practice together, my group, my operations team, our systems being implemented somewhere. Sometimes your system is better than ours and best practices. We steal yours and our other offices get mad at us because we found something better. But in the meantime, we try to implement our systems over the course of the year. The staff stays around, the doctor stays around. Then we start the process of looking for an associate. And so hopefully, maybe we even start at nine months and it takes a while to, you know, troll through the right numbers of people. Sometimes it got to go through 20 to find the one, as they say. And then you find the one. Now you have a marriage. The doctors have gotten to know each other on a personal level, some dinners, some afternoons out, maybe even a CE class they attend together. And then you start the transition process. I found that. He just said something that might be the most valuable part of this. Did you hear? He said dinners, evenings out. 
I uh, tell, I tell like, like, like tonight. Yeah, out. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But I tell what some of the young buyers I meet with, I said, do you realize the most valuable and important relationship of your entire career is with the seller of the practice you will purchase? You think that this is a process like a used car. You go walk through a car lot, pick and buy. If that seller calls me and says, Dave's my guy, I want to adopt him. I am excited. I wake up every excited. I can't wait to send the letter out to the community, endorse them, go to the chamber. You're going to be wildly successful because you did everything. See, I can structure the documents. I can work with banks, insurances. I can map it out. But there's one part of a relationship in a successful transition I can't do. And that's Dave meeting with the seller often. And suddenly the seller goes, I'm willing to compromise. I don't want to lose this guy. And and that's how you win in the price. You go, listen, the bank will only give me 900,000. He wants a million. The seller goes, I'm not losing this guy. How do we make this work? Because you worked on the relationship. It's a win every time. And I think part of that component is lost in the transition world. It's more of a sterile business sale. Yeah. And what you do, Chris, and what versus other brokers that I've seen is that you allow the doctors to communicate. Yes. I think it comes almost from the real estate broker world where, you know, you have, it's the buyer's agent and the seller's agent. So I have to tell my seller's agent. Uh, doesn't make it. Essence, you're sitting right there. Yeah, right. Can you ask? Right. <laughs> and then I'll go, and then I'll pass it on the name right the here. Yes. How old is the furnace? Right. And then you answer it. Right. It's, it's, it's a control. Yeah. It's absolutely stupid. I've always said that. I it's unnatural. Yeah, it is. And even in, in and that's most of the brokering world, world, I there. think that, okay, you might want to go through the buyer seller. I'm, I'm talking about real estate, but also about even the practices. There needs to be a meet and greet. Yeah. And maybe when the letter of intent yeah. or the contract to purchase and it's in the, the review of contingency phase, I think the buyer and seller should sit down in the house. No question. Right. Going out to dinner is one thing, but then you sit down in the house. Now I tell you all the nitty gritty. Okay. You see that screw over there? No matter what I put in there, that thing keeps coming out. It's a number eight. Usually it's bigger than a screw or a nail. I'm trying to, yeah, you know what I'm trying to say, right. right? You can't ding me on it. Okay. But this is something you should know, you know, because every home, every yeah. practice yeah. has its quirks. One that, the, you know, I, I, we bought from you. He's got a backup compressor and a backup vacuum pump, right? Well, he showed me one time in about 37 seconds how to operate all four units. Gone. I need some time right. with you. I need some help. I need some help. I've agreed to buy the practice, but you've got to walk me through this. Yeah. Oh, yeah, actually, this one you got to turn on by crawling underneath on this man's sled and then turning this thing four times clockwise. It, <laughs> I'm not kidding. It, it's We've all seen it. Some nuanced stuff. Yeah, yeah. So anyhow, I think them being together yeah. is so important to get to know each other. But look for that in a relationship. Anybody who's watching this, the numbers... They are what they are. I think numbers work out if you if you do this correctly. If people are fighting over numbers, you're souring the goodwill that you're trying to buy. It was started incorrectly. It's going to finish incorrectly. And there's an innate quality in the back of all of our minds. I don't care who it is. If you close a practice and you feel like you've been screwed, you are less likely to help out your partner post-sale. Yeah, the seller. Or the buyer. If the buyer feels like he's been screwed, if the seller feels get out, like he's been screwed, yeah, exactly. 
It's an amazing thing. You cannot ignore that fact that if there is not some sort of both parties feel like it was fair value all the way to the finish line, that quality will sour post-sale every time. Do you see in physical therapy the therapist that was running a beautiful five-day-week practice and now it's down to three days a week and they want you to pay value based on what it used to do? Oh, absolutely. Right? That's got potential. Well, I mean, so uh, we had a deal in the last six months that we also put an offer in and and the offer was declined. And they had previously been in in a larger brick and mortar office and had moved to a smaller square footage. So their previous numbers of their financials of 2017, 2018 were better. This was also pre-pandemic and in a larger brick and mortar space. And they're referencing some of those numbers in terms of sure, what, do it. what potential could be with you know better marketing or my marketing or my ability to operate or our team's ability to operate. Mm-hmm. But all those types of things are like, that's going to be our time, money, and effort and future pacing, not what we're valuing right now. Right. Yeah. I, see, I see that too. It, it's, um, the doc welcomes you into their office and it's just like, hey, you know what? Whoever buys this, there's so much work here because I don't do X, Y, yeah. Z. I used to when I was five. You could do a million dollars. Right. If you and could. used to do a million dollars. You could do a million. So you, you, could get, you could get it back there. Right. <laughs> yeah, you get it back there and you should therefore pay me. No, I'm only paying you for what have you done for me. Lately. Yes. I have a, a similar. It has to do with employees, but it's the same idea. I was talking to a, a doc friend the other day, a practice that we wanted to acquire, but in the end, we, we couldn't. But we've maintained that for it's a really nice friendship. And he said he had this uh, hygienist. Who came up to him and said, Hey, I, I would like a raise. And in, in the dental world, like most other places, everybody's uh, fighting for employees, right? They're, we're getting better. Things are kind of calming down, but still she or he, I don't know, one that wanted X all of a sudden. I'm not making what I used to. He's like, well, remember a year ago, you had a baby and you went from four days a week to three days a week. So of course you're making less because you're here less. So you want to talk about an hourly rate increase? Sure. Or an incentive rate increase? I can absolutely do that. But I'm not going to get you back 25% more unless you work 25% more or 20% more and I can make it up. But the same thing applies to employees as as to the docs who think they can get what they used to get. So just a similar analogy. You're dealing with a lot of that. You manage a lot of employees, right? Yeah, well, fortunately, I I don't so much anymore. I, right, but yes, although I get I, I get the phone calls, the bench HR fires from, from yeah from my chief operating if, officer. If it escalates high enough. Yeah, for you, yeah, right? it's, it's about a daily conversation, and it usually starts off with a whole bunch of swear words. And I just listen, and then he's like, "What do you think?" <laughs> you know, and I'm like, "Well, is it written down the manual? You know, that's how I would handle it first. And if not, okay, well, you know, who do we want involved in? Who should we bring in as the expert within this policy? You know, kind of a thing." Is it me? Is it you? Or is it somebody else in the organization? So, but yes, a lot of people. Um, the human element is the one element that you cannot predict. Yeah. You can, you can mold it a little bit. You can put some parameters, but I mean, from here to here, it's still a big space and you just never know. Cause it's emotional. It's a lot of decisions. It is selling the biggest transaction or going through the biggest transaction, mm-hmm. selling the biggest thing that they've ever sold in their life. Oh. Definitely. A quick question for Chris. So on, let's say on the, the pre LOI or LOI stage, have you, without mentioning any names, mm-hmm. but have you had a practice owner that's looking to sell? You said, you know, you're probably in this window mm-hmm. of potential purchase price. 
and maybe they had firmly agreed to that type of window or even a particular dollar amount. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you get one or more bids at that dollar amount or very close to it. Have you had potential sellers then kind of change their mind and say, well, I think now, two months later or one month later, uh, I, I think we could hold on for a little bit more. Or I, I changed my mind. I, I think we should kind of price it or, or look for something even a little bit more, uh, a little bit larger of a bid. Have you had any potential sellers go through that? I don't have that a lot, but I have, I have had a seller realize, oh, I'm popular. I'm being chased. I've got two or three bids. They're, and, they're being courted. They, yes, they feel exactly. Empowered or I've special. Had, <laughs> yes. I've had that. And, and and what it does when they, I call it a moving, they become a moving target. Mm-hmm. You know? And then, so now their asking price might excel. It might, it might that, elevate a little bit. There's nothing like buyer or seller wanting to change the purchase price terms that'll kill a deal. First of all, you're sowing the seeds of distrust immediately. Second of all, something I did something wrong. I'm looking at you going, I didn't know you as well as I thought. I thought you were ready to retire. When I met with you and your wife, you said, here's our time frame. We're ready. If you come back to me and go, I think I want to hold on a little longer. I didn't do my job correctly because there's something you're not telling me. Anybody who wavers during that period, a lot of people disagree with me. I would probably say, Doc, why don't we put this on hold? Because what we're doing now is we're starting down a path where we're going to start a fight. And what I would rather do is put this on hold. And when you are ready and we have this defined period of time and you are okay with a certain value, that's when I want to work with you. So call me crazy, call me, well, hey, he's a sentiment kind of broker who's trying to read. If a seller's not ready, you can sunshine all you want and you're not going to sell and he's going to waver. But but they're potentially they are ready, but they just want a little bit more. Like they're they're feeling special, being courted by a couple of different so, uh, so I have three or four. So bits. right now I'm selling a practice in Columbus. The practice Purchase price is a million six and the building is 800,000. So it's 2.4 million. The buyer is going to give seller pretty good check, right? I got a phone call just this week. The seller said, I owe a hundred thousand on the building. I want to keep the building. Now I'm going to wait a minute. Mm-hmm. You're going to get a $2.4 million check and the buyer says it's all or nothing. So the buyer is looking to buy the real estate as well. Because sometimes yes, like we're, yes, not, exactly. we're not, so we're not looking to buy the real estate. Right. But in this case, the buyer was looking to buy the practice and the real estate. It's all, all or nothing. And the seller is getting a 67-year-old seller, getting a $2.4 million check. And the seller calls and says... Net 2.3. Yeah. Net home, yeah, you know, yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty darn good. Is that the old burden hand is better than two in the bush? That's a, That's it. You should slap this person. Well, I just said, I said, if if you're going to kill the deal over $100,000, then we're at the wrong phase to do this. I get a text at midnight. Hey, I'm thinking, thought about what you said. You're right. Let's move forward. But what if I would have said, what if I would have asked a question? Yeah. What if I would have said, you know what? I'm going to call Dave. I'm going to tell him we need an extra 100000 to make this work. 
That's what most people would do when it's important to have the seller or buyer. Let's look at the big picture. Yeah. What did you say? The big picture. Right. Uh, you, why don't you take that 2.3 million, give it to your financial advisor? What's that worth in three years? You'll make up the hundred. You'll make up the hundred. You'll make up the hundred. Plus, if you're staying on as a part-time practitioner, you're still making some W-2. It's not like you're burning through the 2.3 million. If that's your only nest egg, you're hopefully actually not touching that or very, the, just the interest on it. And you're supplementing that from your less W-2. And now you work for two more years, which is another point. Start this process earlier. That's a, another thing I see. Docs don't start this process early enough. You said something on the last podcast we did that I've been thinking about, and I th- I believe you're absolutely correct. He said, when should you begin thinking of your exit strategy? It's immediately. Yeah. Why wait till you're 65? It should be immediate. That was your idea, and I think that is a masterful talking point to anybody out there. In my practice, when I'm talking to patients, I talk about discuss the logarithms, right? So you come down, you go this path, you go this path, you go this path. And at a point in your career, you have the logarithm in front of you with multiple paths. You're pinpointed here because of age, but it could go here, it could go here, it could go here. Why not explore all of them ahead of time? And feel what feels right. Doesn't mean you're going to sell. You're talking about the, the guy with a hundred thousand dollars in debt. Now I'll give you the side where I looked at a practice that looked fantastic. Tech was up. Guy was merging and merged two practices together, had it relatively built out. Spent a lot of money doing that, right? At 59, 58. Wow. Okay. Approaches me, says, Hey, I'd love to join your organization. Okay. Well, of course, I mean, you'd be one of my flagships. It's an operatory. It looks so good. You've got this great associate staff. You're staying on. Let's look at it. Go through, develop a multiple. Oh, my God. Let's look at your balance sheet. Oh, we were going to write you a check for 1.9, but you have 1.2 million in debt still. You're not good enough. No. That's you're exactly not good right. enough. Right. You're not good enough for my organization. Not because you're not good enough for my organization. You're not good enough for yourself. You're not ready to retire. Yep. You're not ready to walk away. You need to pay down that debt. You need yes. to, in fact, if anything, you need to be growing your practice. And I hate right. to tell you that at 59 and a half or 59, 58, whatever the number was. So that, to, that's where like your consulting side of things could yes. kind of come in. Yeah, exactly. But you would not be a buyer and no. most likely no buyers would touch that. Right. So that's where someone like that needs me as a consultant or a strategist to say, okay, okay clearly, Doc, we got in this position for a lot of different reasons. Could be divorced. That happens. That's a big chunk of it. But whatever the reasons are, let's sit down. Let's spend some time. Let me show you how we can get there. You know, and it has to do with improvement of systems and maybe growth and where we need to grow. And uh, as I always say to doctors, I am not going to teach you how to spin the drill. You should know how to spin the drill. You should be very good at it. In fact, if anything, I'm going to do a chart of it when I'm looking at a practice for quality. So if I see quality in the practitioner, I know they're just fine. If I see bad work, now I'm worried about not even now forget about their debt. I'm not buying it because I don't want that liability hanging over my head either. So quality is important. But anyhow, I have these doctors, um, you know, want to understand what they need to do to get to that, to get that 1.9 check from me or from somebody else. And so, yeah, that's where I come in and uh, my company's not going to buy you, but I'll tell you what, let's go off to the side. Over the next three years, I'll help you get to that point. And then maybe it's my company that does buy it. Or maybe it's somebody else. Maybe you decided, maybe we found another associate because you grew who really wants to buy the practice. We cut the middleman out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you do because you're paying him a percentage. You don't have to anymore. 
you know, not that you were selling, not that he was necessarily selling his practice through you, but now he doesn't even have to pay me. He's got the associate. Work it out. Here's a great attorney that can help you do that. Without being in the dental business, how do you measure complications? I think you said you say complications. So, like, if there were uh, quality of care, quality of care. How, oh, do, you, how do you measure sure. that yeah, on a sure. clinical or financial basis? Oh well, first of all, we talked about this earlier: so representations and warranties, right? So, when you're signing the contract, there's a whole bunch of things in there, and pretty much it says, "I'm not committing fraud. I didn't do bad things, and I'm there's no pending lawsuits against yes, me exactly. or anybody who works for me. Yes, recently worked with that aren't settled. No, um, no patient litigation. Yep, no, right. no claims yeah. or so gains. You better you're obligating you that. Better not hiding that because it comes back and it costs you dearly. So. When it comes to the um, reps and warranties or what you're, what you're hiding clinically, so insurance fraud, number one. That's not even clinical. That's on the billing side. I thought we were saying more of the, the quality of care, meaning like the, the patients, are they satisfied? Are they getting okay. out? Right. So like, when I look at you yeah, that? I know on the financial side. Right. But well, but Other so than like online reviews. And- okay. So I do a chart on it. And we did, uh, you said over the last three years that on patient Chris, you did four fillings and two crowns and a recount. Okay. So I look, he only has two fillings in his head. Mm. He only has one crown. And actually, it's not done well. I can tell on an x ray that it's not done well. And I don't see a recount. Why was that built? Mm. Now that's an extreme. Yeah. Okay. Because you'd be really foolish to mm-hmm. build that because yeah. there's, a, there's visual proof you can take an x ray. Right. right. In our world, it's periodontal care. That is the uh, area where people go because you can't really see the results on an x-ray. You can only see it by looking in the mouth. And there's certain things, tests we do, and it's really my word against your word. So we see fraud that way. So when I do the clinical check for quality, I'm not only looking at did they do what they say they did, how well was it done, but then did they build for it properly? So that's the financial side. But fraud is important because if you're committing fraud and I buy your practice and I didn't do that... I'm equally held liable once I see that patient. Well, I think on that note, transparency. So even if it's not billing, just being transparent, a lot of sellers I work with, Dave, want to hide the weak spots. Just lay it out on the table, especially in the first inning of the game, because they're less likely to become big issues in the ninth inning. Lay it all out. Your wife is the hygienist. Your daughter's at the front desk. There's all sorts of red flags and warts on the frog. Let the buyer know what they are now. You will have more strength and leverage now because we can talk through these and develop a plan. You get to the one yard line and Dave calls me and goes, are you aware of this? We have no leverage. Just happened to you? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Final recap, final thoughts on... Potential deal killers, challenges, uh, suggestions to the audience if they're dentists, physical therapists, practice owners, sellers. Start the process early rather than later. If you think you have three to five years left, that's exactly when you would talk to a Dave or a Todd. Do not wait for the six-month window. You lose a quarter of your value, if not half your value, and no one's happy. It's a lose-lose. I echo that start early. I would start even earlier. Yeah. I like 35. I tell people to start thinking about where you're going. And my second bit of advice is surround yourself with some smart people. Your accountant may be a good accountant, but if they haven't done 
mergers and acquisitions, if they haven't been involved in the dental space in particular, the physical therapy space, and seeing these deals go through, they might be great. But not all our our professions are a little bit of a niche. And so you have to have somebody who understands some of the nuances to those niches. And so I would definitely surround myself with some good people. Awesome. Uh, if you guys find this valuable, go ahead and subscribe to the YouTube channel. We will be breaking down more deals. Most recently, we, we put out an episode where we broke down a $1.25 million physical therapy practice where we screen shared and we showed the, the public listing from a broker's website. So subscribe to the YouTube. You'll be able to catch notifications of future episodes that are published to help you as a practice owner potentially sell, speak to buyers a certain way, interact with brokers and advisors uh, the best way. So we'll catch you next time here on The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.